I'm hoping that all of you are doing well and that you are still praying as best you can each day and let us look forward to the moment when we can return to the church. Our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35 and I hope you will take time to read it and pray with it. A common theme in the resurrection accounts is how the disciples simply did not or could not recognize the risen Lord. And yet we who have not seen him with our eyes do see him with the insight that we received from grace. That's why we believe. And I wish I could take credit for that observation, but I can't. I got that from St. Augustine when I read some of his works many years ago now while I was in college and I was still a Protestant. And Augustine's teaching has always stuck with me. In so many ways, we are superior to those who witnessed the miracles, who heard the teachings, who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. We are, as we saw last week in the account of the doubting Thomas, so much more blessed precisely because we believe without seeing, whereas they saw, but they did not believe, at least for a while. But why were the disciples so slow in coming to faith. We saw in last week's gospel that Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. She saw the stone that covered the tomb had been rolled away. She assumed someone or some group stole the Lord's body, and she ran off to tell Peter and John, who in turn set off for the tomb. Peter went in, saw the burial cloths, and the one that covered Jesus' face, rolled up and curiously put in a place by itself. But that was it. Peter bolted out of the tomb. John walked in, saw everything Peter did, and the gospel tells us he believed. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene is still at the tomb crying, peered into the tomb and saw two angels there who asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? She still didn't get what was going on. She turned around and she saw Jesus and thought he was what? The gardener. She didn't recognize him until he called her by name. And then the light bulb went on. In today's gospel, we hear about two of Jesus' disciples, not part of the inner group of apostles, but disciples nonetheless. They were, says the text, quote, conversing and debating, close quote, about all the things that had happened to Jesus. Now, those words give the sense that two things were going on here. First, those disciples were caught in a loop going over and over and over what happened, but unable to see the truth all those things were pointing them to. Second, their debating suggests a deep struggle to find meaning in those things, but only as their minds were capable of offering, which no human mind can without grace. It is at that point the risen Lord suddenly came among them. 
casually strolling along with them, but they did not recognize him. Now, I, I need to digress here for just a minute and ask, who were these guys? There was an ancient church historian by the name of Hegesippus who wrote a five-volume work called the Hypnomnete, which means memories. He wrote these volumes about, eh, we think, between 140 and 150 to record the fullness of the apostolic preaching that existed up to his time. He is mentioned by another ancient church historian, Eusebius, who lived between 265 and 339. Now, according to Hegesippus, the tradition he inherited held that the disciple referred to as Cleopas is actually Clopas. Now, get this. Brother to Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, to use our modern terms, and therefore Jesus' step-uncle. The unnamed disciple was Clopas's son, according to this tradition, named Simeon, a cousin of Jesus who became the second bishop of Jerusalem around the year or shortly after the year 70. Now, why does this ancient tradition matter? Whether it's accurate or not, it underscores that neither of these guys were ordinary run-of-the-mill people who observed an occasional miracle or shared the odd meal with Jesus. Rather, they had a very good, indeed, a very intimate knowledge of Jesus, which, of course, makes their lack of recognizing him all the more ludicrous. Now, I always chuckle at verse 18. The risen Lord asked the two clueless disciples what they were discussing. In a sense, Jesus was setting them up. And with, I suspect, no little sarcasm from Cleopas, Clopas, they asked the stranger, who was their savior, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? They're asking him essentially, what, are you Meshuggah? Are you crazy? To which Jesus responded with, I think, a comically straight face. Oh, what sort of things? Who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? But notice the dangerous loop the disciples revealed themselves to be trapped in. They listed all the things that happened Acknowledging Jesus as, quote, a prophet, mighty in deed and in word, close quote, which means what? That's all they saw. They didn't put the miracles together. They didn't put Jesus' teaching together. They didn't put the Hebrew scriptures together. They had no idea who Jesus really was. They revealed their limited thinking when they said, Quote, but we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel, close quote. Not understanding there was more than Israel at stake here, there was the salvation of all humanity. They reported to the stranger the bizarre news of the empty tomb relayed by a woman. Now as Jews, they knew the testimony of a woman was invalid automatically. She then, according to them, told some in their group, Peter and John, who verified the story that the tomb was empty. These two men were ensnared in an endless loop, the fruitless perpetual rotation 
of the hamster wheel of human minds operating without grace. What did Jesus do? Ever so patiently, he gave the two clueless disciples a crash course that must have lasted for hours. In other words, catechesis. The text tells us, quote, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them what referred to him in all the scriptures, close quote. They were like children who did not learn their lessons during the school year, and they needed to go to summer school. And then things got downright interesting. Jesus gave the impression he was going to continue walking on. The two disciples urged him to stay. It's evening. It's late. Stay with us. It was at the evening meal, grace began to take over. Grace became the thread that weaved together all the miracles, all the teachings, all the teachings of the prophets, weaving them ever so gently together. Jesus then, we are told, quote, took the bread, said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to them, close quote. Liturgical actions, priestly actions, the actions of Eucharist, and bang, boom, the lights went on and everything came together. They broke out of the hamster wheel they realized it was the Lord. And I think ever so comically, it is that point Jesus, quote, vanished from their sight, close quote. No doubt grinning from ear to ear. Those two no longer needed sight. They finally accepted the grace of insight. And we are told, quote, so they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem where they found gathered the eleven, then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how, now listen to this, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Close quote. Please notice two things here. They left the lodge and they wandered in the night, something most ancient peoples avoided like the plague. Their physical sight was impeded by darkness, but their insight was pulsating with the light of the truth that Jesus is risen. Second, they made it clear in their report to the apostles that Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread, in liturgical actions. At the beginning of this homily, I referred to the works of St. Augustine, and to him I again refer as I conclude. In reflecting on the experience these two disciples had, St. Augustine makes a very good argument that this is also our experience. Augustine says, quote, Jesus was at one and the same time seen and concealed. 
Ah, yes, brothers and sisters. But where did the Lord wish to be recognized? In the breaking of the bread. It was for our sake he didn't want to be recognized anywhere but there because we weren't going to see him in the flesh, and yet we were going to eat his flesh. And no one should doubt that his being recognized in the breaking of bread is the sacrament which brings us together in recognizing him. Close quote. Right now, of course, we are prohibited from gathering to celebrate the Eucharist as a community of faith. Our bishop is acting prudently for the protection of all people, both the laity and clergy. Soon, it will come to an end. And let us all then start asking for the grace that when we can all come to the altar, we will, like those as the disciples on the road to Emmaus, have the eyes of our minds opened, renewed by grace, and realize he who is risen, who we do not see, is coming to feed us with his body and his blood. <laughs>